everybody. Welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. I'm Zach Brittle. This is episode 196. It is our last episode of 2021. And I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for hanging out with us this year. Man, it's been a crazy year. It's been a crazy couple years. Um, this particular episode, Laura is on her own. She is doing an interview with a man named Anthony Bogart. This is part of her sex school that she's in. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to it. But I was also thinking back on some of my favorite episodes from this past year. And uh, I wanted to remind you of some of them. Um, episode 153 was when I had this mind-blowing experience around gratitude. Episode 156, I got to interview the dumb dads who are blowing it up right now on TikTok. You should definitely be following them. Episode 161 was the WandaVision episode where we talked to Ryan Airy from Screen Crush. Uh, that one is still blowing my mind, particularly now as Marvel continues to roll stuff out. Uh, 168, definitely one of my favorites about repair. 181, also about repair, but through the lens of skydiving. And then 186, where I got to interview one of my heroes, Christine Lilly. We got a lot done this year. It was really fun. And again, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, I want to wish you a happy new year. We will be back next week um, with our first episode of 2022, creeping up on number 200. Uh, But for right now, this is a very cool conversation. Stick around. How do you describe yourself when people are like, Hey, Tony, what are you, what do you do? What's, what is, what are you passionate about? What makes yeah. money for you? What are you okay. all about? My official title, you know, is professor of health sciences and psychology at Brock university. I have a PhD in psychology. Um, I teach primarily human sexuality courses and supervise students related to human sexuality. Um, I conduct research on a variety of different things related to human sexuality, including, yes, asexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've been um, at Brock University for about 25 years. Um, wow. You started yeah. young, huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I started when I was six. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I did a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Toronto. Um, I did uh, partially a postdoctoral fellowship at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Um, And uh, yeah, for the last, you know, 25, 30 years or so, I've been doing academic kinds of work at universities, um, publishing articles, publishing a book. Um, and supervising lots of students, uh, teaching classes. Do you want to know about my world outside of academia? As you well? are. You're a, you're a whole wow. human being, a whole I person. Am. I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So I live with my wife of many years, and uh, we also live with our nephew which has finished university going to the same university, Brock University. Nice. And um, um, I am passionate about um, a few things other than the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I'm obsessed to the point of being mentally unstable about the game of golf. Oh, Oh, boy. Wow. I thought I I could go a day in my household without hearing golf, but uh, 
my listeners know it's a big part of my life. Uh, yeah. Are you a big golfer? Um, by proxy. I, oh, okay. I spend a lot of time on the golf course. Uh, I have a husband where that is, that is his main, main thing. He's really obsessed with becoming a scratch golfer. And okay. so his big, that's his focus when he's not okay. working and maybe that's even while, while working. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Um, you know, I, I was fascinated by the game when I was a teenager and picked it up as a teenager. And then when I discovered girls at, you know, 17, you know, I let it go by. And then, um, and then, I, you know, I, you know, at around age 40, I had a bit of a middle-aged crisis, but it was very minor. Oh, I would <laughs> and say. I, and I just picked up golf in a kind of an obsessed way. Um, wow. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I like to read novels and I like to, um, just have some general knowledge about um, science, um, you know, even outside of the field that we, um, you know, share here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another uh, sort of interest. Um, I like to do hiking and right. I like to travel. Okay. Um, and I really like music. So I listen to a lot of different kind of music. So jazz music, I listen to classical music. I listen to a lot of pop music. So I listen to a lot of music too. I I have to say I'm kind of blushing a little bit and happy to hear that you admitted to liking and listening to pop music in the same breath as saying <laughs> classical. But that that makes me happy. Oh. Um, yes, oh. you are a whole human. There is a life outside of work, uh, yes. but isn't it isn't it fun when you enjoy doing what you do and getting paid for it? I mean, yeah. it just. I really love relationships. I'm a couples therapist by trade, Um, certified Gottman therapist. I teach for the Gottman Institute and, and then also really enjoy understanding more about human sexuality, which is what brought me to you. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of always the person that just goes straight for the top and you seem to be right at the top, the, you know, sort of like a kind of the two big names that come up when thinking about, understanding asexuality it's you and then uh you know Avon comes up a lot and and going straight to understanding that and the community that's been created but i think you know my main reason for wanting to speak to you is to try and just kind of educate um and also understand what's different because it seemed to me like the the book was published in 2012 and correct me if i'm wrong um but I am curious, like what has changed in the last 10 years and is yeah. there anything new? Uh, yeah, but- um, sure. Um, well, I, I think, you know, a lot of what I talked about in the book is still relevant, mm-hmm. um, but there are some interesting sort of updates, I would say. I think there's more acceptance in the scientific community for this phenomenon of asexuality and even, mm-hmm. for example, including um, asexuals within a sort of separate grouping of, of sexual orientation, different from uh, bisexual people, different than heterosexual people, different than gay people, gay lesbian mm-hmm. people. So I think there's more acceptance there. So I think that's that's one of the changes. I think in terms of understanding the phenomenon, I think it's it's um, increased. Um, so, for example, we've done some interesting work related to 
how asexual people become aroused or don't become aroused in the laboratory. Okay. You know, looking at different stimuli, for example. So, mm-hmm. so that's relatively new. Um, I definitely want to get into that because I am very yeah, curious. Are you able to sure. disclose what you have um, found? Um, I, I, you know, I could probably talk about it broadly, but um, mm-hmm. some of it is not published. So I don't want to right. sort of talk about it in, in terms of, um, you know, this being definitive work mm-hmm. because, you know, it might end up getting changed or uh, revised to some degree. Um, sure. But um, I think, I think what we're understanding is that the arousal patterns for, for men are unique relative to a heterosexual and gay people, hmm. I think. So, okay. um, so there is, as you might expect, uh, lower levels of arousal. Mm-hmm. Um, towards sort of standard sexual stimuli, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for, for women, women have oftentimes been categorized as having non-category specific arousal, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and uh, asexual women seem to fall within that pattern as well. And that's some mm-hmm. of Lori Brado's work, for example. Mm-hmm. So, so that's interesting and important, I think, updates. Um, so let me let me kind of put this in layman's terms uh, and kind of backing up too, because it's probably important just to help orient some folks to what asexuality is and maybe sure. what it isn't. Yeah. Um, so I guess in your definition, you had mentioned it's an orientation, much more accepted as an orientation now. Uh, yeah. And I think we're much more familiar with sort of uh, being heterosexual, homosexual, uh, bisexual, and now adding in asexual as an orientation. Right. Can you right. explain a little bit about yeah, what yeah. that means? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we traditionally think of a sexual orientation, we're thinking of who we're sexually attracted to. So who do we have, for, for example, lustful feelings towards when mm-hmm. we think about them or when we see them or when we're close to them and so on and so forth. And um, gay people, same-sex attracted people have arousal and interest and lustful feelings and strong sexual attraction for the same sex. Uh, those individuals who are heterosexual have uh, lustful feelings and strong sexual attraction for the other sex. Bisexual people have fairly strong attraction, sexual attraction for both sexes. Mm-hmm. While for asexual people, typically uh, asexual people don't have uh, strong attractions to either sex. And so there's low sexual attraction or no sexual attraction to anyone at all. Mm-hmm. And those are sort of the defining kind of features associated with one's sexual orientation. So you can actually fit asexual people within that framework as well. And they're in some sense the fourth quadrant. So we have three quadrants that we've been talking about for many years. Yeah. Well, there's also kind of a fourth quadrant where you have low attraction for anyone, low mm-hmm. sexual attraction for anyone. You can fit asexual people within that quadrant. And so they fit, at least from my perspective, within a broader sort of sexual orientation framework. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that um, there aren't other sort of sexual variables or sexual issues or sexual contexts that aren't important within uh, our understanding of asexuality 
And there are, for example, oftentimes, if you don't have any sexual attraction for anyone at all, you also don't have any sexual desire, period. Mm-hmm. And they're not interested in sex, period. Right. But there are, for example, some asexual people who don't have sexual attraction for others, but still have, for example, some level of sexual desire. They may still masturbate, for example. Mm -hmm. They may still have a kind of sexual interest, but it's just not necessarily connected to other people. Mm -hmm. So they may feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm feeling a bit sort of like I need to as one asexual person suggests, I need to kind of clean up the plumbing, so to speak. So they may end up feeling like I need to masturbate. Mm -hmm. There may still be sort of sexual feelings there of some sorts, Mm -hmm. but generally speaking, asexual people don't connect those sexual desire feelings to other people per se. And so that's how I would, for example, understand broadly asexuality. And yeah, I think it fits relatively well within a, a sexual orientation, a, a sort of missing fourth quadrant. Yeah. It makes me think about, you know, as far as like acceptability um, of, you know, being accepted or understood on kind of in the broader context, yeah. because I, I think, you know, it's like thinking about as a sexual person, wait, so you're saying there's zero sexual attraction to another person is almost unfathomable. Um, and I I guess I'm kind of wondering where does the, the more acceptance come from? Is it just by having these conversations, putting publications out there, um, identifying and having a face to represent, you know, that this is a sexuality. It's not this sort of like um, hidden aspect of, of sexuality. But I am kind of wondering where the acceptance has grown in the last 10 years. Um, again, I think it's overall grown, um, uh, but not by leaps and bounds, I would say. Mm-hmm. I would say modestly. Yeah. And um, part of that is, yeah, some of the work that I've done or Lori Brado's done mm-hmm. or other people working in the field of asexuality, I think has you know, allowed the scientific community and that filters down to some degree to sort of public acceptance, uh, at least to some degree. Um, But also very much so is, you know, those individuals who help to promote uh, the sexual minority status on the web, for example. So AVEN, that particular website and group uh, has been very important in terms of increasing public acceptance. But when we say overall level of public acceptance, you know, has increased again, I don't want to suggest that it's you know, by leaps and bounds. I think there's still lots of misinformation. And and if you ask an average person in the street, you know, for example, what is an asexual? Mm-hmm. Um, they may have some sense of what you mean, but mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, I think a, a well-developed sense. Yeah. So an average heterosexual person on the street, for example, would have a strong understanding of what a gay or lesbian person is. Right. But I don't think they would necessarily have a strong understanding of what an asexual person is, per se. Yeah. They may have some sense of it, but mm-hmm. not as well developed as, for example, um, how the majority might end up viewing other sexual minorities uh, mm-hmm. like a, a lesbian person or a, a gay man, for example. 
Yeah. Something that I really appreciated was uh, when describing asexuality is kind of differentiating between something that you were talking about, which is attraction to another yeah. human being, a sexual attraction yeah. um, and the attraction versus the behavior, the act, because yeah. I, you know, I, I have a, a, as a couples therapist mm-hmm. have couples coming to see me and their concern is, I think, I think I am asexual and I think that I have been living in this monogamous heterosexual relationship. And now the asexuality is much more uh, accepted or I'm learning more about it. I think I might be asexual and it's just kind of like the attraction versus the behavior. Cause they're looking in that and they're saying, but I've been having sex with my partner. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Cause I think that is an important distinction. Oh, absolutely. I think it's really important. Um, Yeah. In terms of our behavior, uh, we can do tons of things, uh, engage in lots of different activities um, but not necessarily have a deep-seated sort of interest or attraction in those behaviors. But that doesn't mean that we can't do them. We definitely can, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we can, and, and in the context of sexuality. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, people can oftentimes function sexually speaking without necessarily having a strong attraction for what they're doing. So separating those things out is important. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, many asexual people may end up, yeah, having, for example, sexual activity, at least to some degree with their partners Mm -hmm. in, in terms of maybe wanting to have a romantic connection to your partner or for example, just wanting to please your partner and so on. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a strong sexual attraction for them in the same way that for example, many closeted gay people may have had, for example, sexual activity with Mm -hmm. the other sex Mm -hmm. in a marriage, but not necessarily had strong sexual attraction for those people. right? Right. So, That's something to kind of consider, I guess. Yeah. You know that Zach and I are huge fans of getting support, and that is why we have partnered with BetterHelp to put you in contact with licensed professional counselors in your area. Tap into the world's largest network of licensed, accredited, and experienced counselors who can help you with a range of issues, including depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, relationships, and more. With BetterHelp's counselors, you get the same professionalism and quality that you would expect from an in-office counselor. With the ability to communicate when and how you want, whether it be messaging, through the phone, or video conferencing. The matching process is quick but thorough. Look, I know that a lot of therapists are booked out and difficult to get into, but don't let that stop you from getting the support that you need. The cost is less than half of what Zach and I charge, which is kind of unheard of. And when you register with BetterHelp, you are supporting Marriage Therapy Radio. Go to trybetterhelp.com MTR. So it's trybetterhelp.com forward slash MTR to register with BetterHelp. T-R-Y-B-E-T-T-E-R help H-E-L-P.com forward slash MTR and you receive a special discount as a marriage therapy radio listener. 
I'm thinking about just questions that might come up and also looking at kind of the evolution of human beings sexually over time and thinking of asexuality more as like a spectrum and having Mm -hmm. it not be so binary, Mm -hmm. black and white. So I'm curious about that. Yeah, no, I think that's reasonable. I think, you know, there is a a kind of spectrum that we need to sort of be aware of within the context of people who identify as asexual or people who, for example, feel more comfortable on the lower sexuality spectrum, Mm -hmm. including, yes, the lower sexuality attraction spectrum. And, you know, ABAN, for example, and other um, asexual uh, sites argue that You can be asexual or perhaps, you know, be a little bit, uh, I guess, not on the extreme end and be what they term gray A or gray asexual, right? So in some sense, they're on the lower spectrum. They're more comfortable kind of feeling like, you know, I'm not an average, typical kind of sexualized person, I would say. I'm more comfortable with, for example, on the low spectrum, and therefore they may be more comfortable um, identifying at least broadly within the lower um, spectrum associated with what might be termed asexuality, including identifying as gray A. And then there are other individuals who fit to some degree within the gray A A, uh, spectrum, the gray asexual spectrum, um, and they're sometimes called demisexual. Hmm. And demisexuals are those individuals who um, have a very, very, very strong need to have a romantic connection with someone and only have sexual feelings emerge after they've had, for example, a very strong romantic bonding with someone. So, for example, when they're walking in the street, for example, and they may see lots of attractive people, but there's no sexual connection to them. The only sexual feelings that emerge for these individuals, demisexual people, are within the context of, I have developed this strong romantic attachment to this one person, and now mm-hmm. sexual feelings have emerged, uh-huh. and um, I'm performing sexually speaking, I'm behaving sexually speaking, and I have attraction for this one individual and it's only emerged after for example this intense romantic connection has occurred for this one individual and so these demisexual people also feel like you know what i'm on the sort of asexual spectrum Uh the lower sexuality spectrum if you will as well yeah Yeah. i know that folks are probably wondering Because I, too, kind of wonder, especially since so much of couples that come to see me, you have like the identified patient, my, you know, like my sex drive or my libido is low or it's decreased over time. And a lot of times the question is, have you had your T's, have you had your testosterone checked? Um, If it's been you know, I was sexual in college, I met my partner, and then I, my sexuality has really, or my attraction to my partner, to really anybody has kind of dissipated yeah. over time. Right. Right. And, um, and I'm kind of wondering if folks who are listening to this going, am I asexual? Is this something I should have my testosterone checked? Does it matter? Is there a difference? Where, where is the line as people start to go, is this me? Is this, yeah. are you describing me? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think that's also an important distinction here. I think most people, you know, 
if they, for example, in adolescence and their younger 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, had fairly strong sex drive or modest sex drive, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're in their 50s and 60s, and there's not much sexual attraction that's going on to their partner or to anyone at all, they may feel, well, I'm kind of in my life now, I'm kind of asexual. Right. Um, I wouldn't necessarily categorize those people as asexual people. Mm-hmm. Um, because for much of their lives, they, in fact, evinced sexual attraction for others, right? Right. So I wouldn't say they fit within a sort of at least narrow definition of what asexuality is for me, yeah. the way I define it. Um, and, you know, for those individuals, um, you know, it probably is the case that some kinds of Changes occurred in their body to some degree. Maybe it is lower testosterone, maybe, or other sort of uh, activities and other sort of preoccupations in life has has changed, for example, some of their sexual interests. Uh, For them, yeah, some level of um, intervention might be reasonable, particularly, of course, if they're distressed by it. Right. Right. If they're distressed, if they're not distressed by it, then I would say, hey, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a different part of your life now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that they would necessarily need an intervention, including a biological one like increased testosterone. Right. But if they're distressed by it and their partner is distressed by it and so on, then, you know, looking into some kind of intervention probably is reasonable, but I wouldn't necessarily label them um, as asexual although you know people can choose the terms they want to (laughs) right Right? so if they feel comfortable with saying you know in this part of my life i'm asexual well that's how they're describing themselves okay you go for it (laughs) yeah i think that was something i found so welcoming on the avon website and it's a-v-e-n that's right folks that are listening is there's this Q&A section that is so rich. And a, a lot of the responses that I'm getting of people who are just asking questions around identity, is this me? Does this describe me? Does that... Right. And, yeah. and Avon is basically open arms, like yeah. come be a part of the community, yeah, learn right. more about yourself, yeah, learn more about, right. you know, mm-hmm. other folks. Uh, and I just really appreciated that of like what you said, if that's how you identify right on great. <laughs> Right. Um, I do, I do have this question of, uh, community and, you know, feeling that human beings need connection. And I want to sort of draw the distinction between Uh asexuality does not mean a desire to connect. It doesn't mean a desire or a lack of desire to connect with others. That's right. That's right. And I'm wondering, you know, what does connection look like, committed relationships look like, uh, in the asexual relationship, having, um, you know, partners that are, I don't even know the terminology, but maybe even mismatch where one partner may be heterosexual and the other partner may identify as asexual and that pairing, uh, I'm sure there's some statistics uh, out there that sort of talk about the, the partnering that occurs, um, but I am curious about how, how folks who identify as asexual are finding connection. Right. And that's another important distinction. So I'm glad you brought that up too. Um, It's certainly the case that, you know, some of my early work and some of the more recent work has uh, validated the notion that if you're asexual, you're not necessarily aromantic. 
Mm. That is that you can still have a romantic connection to others. And in fact, many asexual people still do and form relationships, you know, in a sort of love bond with others. Yeah. So, you know, they're married and they love their partner and there's lots of affection and lots of cuddling and physicality to some degree, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily on a very sort of sexual level. And therefore, someone can be romantically connected without necessarily being sexually attracted. And yeah, some asexual people are definitely still very romantic individuals Mm -hmm. forming partnerships with others. Now, having said that, that's also there's also evidence that asexuals on average tend to be um, at least sometimes less likely than average heterosexuals or average gay and lesbian people to mm-hmm. form romantic bonds with others. Okay. So, so on average, if mm-hmm. you're, you know, identifying as an asexual person, you may have slightly higher percentage of those individuals also saying, you know what, I'm not really also romantically connected to others. Mm-hmm. So there is a group of asexual people who are also not romantically connected to others. Okay. But that's also But it's also, of course, very important to reiterate the notion that if you are asexual, you can still have uh, a very strong romantic bonds to others. Mm -hmm. And many people do, right? Many asexual people, yeah, form romantic bonds with others, um, get married and and love their partner deeply, right? Mm -hmm. Even have children, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I am thinking about just in general, the desire to be part of community, to feel a sense of belonging. And when you're not partnered and in such a partnered centric world, um, what that must be like without feeling romantically connected or paired with someone or paired, I say paired meaning too, but just, you know, with multiple partners as well. Um, I'm just wondering, is is there more of a connection around a community of folks of like a circle of friendship or a kinship network that develops when you are aromantic and asexual? There might be for some individuals. I think that's very possible. So if you're, for example, yes, asexual and also aromantic, Mm -hmm. you may still have a a need for some kind of connection in a, a sort of um, friendship way. Yeah. It's not necessarily romantic and you exactly. may still need some level of support and yeah. almost every human being needs some level of social support. Right. Yeah. So um, it wouldn't be surprising to me if um, a romantic asexual people still have, for example, some level of connection to some level of friends and also to, for example, a community, a mm-hmm. community like, for example, even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, but I also am curious, just uh, what are some of your favorite resources? We've already mentioned Avon as a website, Um, either as folks are hearing about asexuality for the first time, may have a, you know, someone in their life that has identified as asexual. Mm -hmm. They themselves Mm -hmm. might be curious whether or not Mm -hmm. they are asexual. Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite resources? Um, Well, there are some... um let's say published books that are more uh, meant to be sort of popular science or popular oriented kinds of uh, venues and opportunities for people to learn more. I have a book, but there are other 
um, books available by, for example, asexual people who've written books that might be, for example, very interesting and important resources for, let's say, a, a person who's asexual or thinking that they may be asexual. They could, for example, seek out these books and it may be helpful for them. Yeah. Well, I found your book actually to be quite refreshing, knowing that you were a researcher first and an academic. I was really like, oh boy, this is going to be a tough pill to swallow. Uh, But it was very readable and I really enjoyed your book. And so I don't want to scare folks off from reading it. Um, because it was so uh, interesting and engaging and easy to read in the sense of it wasn't the big, heavy academic research paper that is tough to fumble through. Yeah. Um, and the title of your book, Understanding Asexuality. That's correct. That's yeah. Correct. And will you say your last name for me? Because I just don't want to. Is it Bogart? It's Bogart, right? So as in Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. <laughs> but your name is Anthony Bogart and you That's go by correct. Tony. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do go by tone. So um, very similar to yes, pronunciation of uh, Humphrey Bogart, the old actor of the 1940s, 50s, 60s, yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's a little before my generation, but I know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks like it's a little before your generation. Yeah. Uh, well, I really appreciate you joining me. Um, this has been lovely to kind of pick your brain, get it, get it through, you know, your words. And I'm hoping that this just sort of piques an interest in folks and just continues to open the door for more conversation and understanding and acceptance. Well, thank you. And I also have to commend you. You're um, um, a very good uh, spokesperson for mm-hmm. issues related to human sexuality. And I also think that the way you framed your questions and the way we discuss things was also very helpful, um, not just to, for example, therapists, but also for individuals seeking information about their own sexual identity. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That should get me an A for sure, right? Yes, A plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Tony. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. And I hope that this was interesting. Believe it or not, we've had several people reach out and um, ask uh, questions specific to asexuality as it may be showing up in your relationships. Uh, with your children, um, with family and friends, and you just want to know more. Um, One place that we had mentioned for learning more about asexuality is to take a look at AVEN. Um, AVEN is the Asexuality Visibility and Education Network. You can find it by going to asexuality.org. And there is a whole host of resources and community available um, to just sort of find out what asexuality is, what it isn't. Um, and connect with others. I hope that uh, this was a helpful podcast interview for all of you. I'd love to hear your feedback by emailing info at marriagetherapyradio.com. Thanks so much for all of your time and attention, making your relationship better today than it was yesterday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.